Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 135, air date June 19th, 2017. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Shiva Ayadure, and welcome to our whiteboarding session so you can learn what is a GMO and why we should all be concerned. By the way, as many of you know, I'm running for United States Senate against Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts. So if you want to know more, you can go to shivaforsenate.com and uh, you're welcome to volunteer, donate, contribute to our campaign. But today we're really going to learn what is a GMO. Many of you have heard of this, many of you probably really don't know what it is, but by the end of this whiteboarding session, you're going to understand what a GMO is and why we should be concerned, and, but more specifically, the reality that there is no safety assessment standards for GMOs. And I'll repeat that again. There are no safety assessment standards for GMOs, and yet they're being distributed throughout the world, and it's a serious concern for public health. So let's begin. First of all, let's talk about what a GMO is. Let me begin by um, looking at this fact that GMOs fundamentally are made from no sex. There's no sex involved in the creation of GMOs, and you'll quickly understand what I mean. So let's say here's an organism called a tomato, no, or t tomato, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And a tomato is made up of many, many cells. What we can do in genetic engineering, genetic engineering, is what we do is we try to create a new tomato. So this is, let's call it the organic tomato, which is a non-GMO. And what in genetic engineering they do is they want to create a non, sorry, a GMO tomato, tomato. And this GMO tomato is created to have certain characteristics that this tomato doesn't have. For example, let's say we want to create a tomato that can handle cold weather, right? So it's resilient to cold weather, which means it's very strong to cold weather. So this is the non-GMO and we want to create a GMO. So one of the methods that people have come up with is what they do is, let's say there's a salmon here, a completely different organism. I'm going to draw a salmon here. And let's say this salmon, make it a happy salmon, and this salmon itself has certain genes. Now before I go to that, if you look at this tomato and we take a cell of this tomato and we zoom in on it, we can find out that inside the nucleus of this cell is what's called its DNA. This is the DNA. And DNA basically is a molecule which contains genes along its helix which code for different characteristics of this tomato. So for example, the red color, there's a gene for that. How big the tomato is, there's a gene for that. Okay? So there's different genes. Over here is our salmon, and like the tomato, this too has a cell, and inside of it, it has its own DNA. What we do in genetic engineering is we take a snippet of this salmon's DNA, a little piece, and let's say this DNA piece right here is the gene that handles the uh, scales or the coat or the covering of that salmon which keeps it very protected to cold. So let's say that there's that gene. In genetic engineering, we're literally taking this gene and we're inserting it 
into a piece, if I zoom in on this, uh, into here. So you're literally taking this and you're shoving into here this gene. So what you're doing is you're literally taking, in a test tube by the way, there's no sex involved here. All this is done in a laboratory. We're taking the gene from this salmon and sticking it in to the gene of this non-GMO tomato, okay? Then this new gene is then allowed to go into a new seed and that seed is planted and now you produce this new GMO tomato and this GMO tomato is supposedly resilient to cold, okay? So we've created a new GMO tomato unlike this non-GMO tomato, this is organic, this is what appears in the wild, and we've created a, genetic ver uh, a genetically engineered version of this. The most important thing to understand is this would never occur in nature. Um, you, I don't think you're going to find a salmon having sex with a tomato. At least I haven't seen it. But all of this is done in a test tube. One thing I want to let you know is people, including major newspapers like the New York Times, the editors in the New York Times, for years they've been lying to the public, telling people, don't worry, the non-GMO and the GMO tomato are the same, saying genetic engineering is equal to plant breeding. Plant breeding. Now, in plant breeding, this occurs over thousands of years, okay? So, for example, the Aztecs and the Incas and in indigenous cultures, for example, if they had a little corn plant, and they had a big corn plant, a big guy here, they would breed them, and these had sex. There was sexual transfer of genes. And then you would create a new corn plant, maybe it was a little bit medium size, and then this would mate with a bigger corn plant over another thousand years, and eventually you got to a nice big corn plant. Okay, the point is, this is sexual transfer, this is plant breeding. Plant breeding is not equal to genetic engineering. But what the mainstream media has been lying to the public is telling them, don't worry, you know, this took thousands of years to understand is, this is occurring without sex in a test tube, this is occurring sexually in a normal pattern of how uh, plants and animals actually have sexual uh, transfer. This is a big thing everyone needs to take away. Okay, so I hope everyone's clear on that. Now let's move to something even more interesting. How is a GMO put out into the public, right? Clearly, we're doing a complete uh, change of the system of this organism, yet it's being put out there and we're being told that it's safe. And the question next is, is it really safe and what are the safety assessment standards to determine the safety of these things? And what you're gonna learn is there is no safety assessment standards. There's a complete collusion with companies like Monsanto and the government where we're being pushed GMOs without safety assessment standards. And this is what we need to know. More importantly, everyone needs to know that Elizabeth Warren included, who claims that she's against big corporations and against evil empires like Monsanto, voted for the Monsanto Protection Act. And what this act allows Monsanto to do is, let's say this GMO tomato is found to be harmful to you and me and the public in general. Let's say it's found to be harmful, and a court issues an injunction to the manufacturer saying you cannot distribute or plant these GMOs 
that act, which Elizabeth Warren supported, plus a lots of Democrats, a lot of Democrats, um, and there were some few Republicans, allows Monsanto to go to the Department of Agriculture, which is in the executive branch, and get it overruled. And this was done under Obama. This was not done under a Republican president, not done by Donald Trump, but done by Barack Obama. So all of the good-hearted liberals, I know all of you are Americans listening to this, you know, Elizabeth Warren supported the Monsanto Protection Act. So let's go on a little more of the science here. First, let's understand how these GMOs are allowed to be uh, put out into the public. There is a policy, and I'm gonna, it's going to sound uh, difficult, but it's actually pretty simple. There's a policy called substantial equivalence. Substantial equivalence. And based on using this policy, a GMO is quote-unquote allowed to go into the public. Let me explain where this came from. In 1976, President Gerald Ford, President Gerald Ford, some of you may remember him, passed a guideline called substantial equivalence. And what was this done for? Substantial equivalence was done for medical devices. And what it allowed, it was to support innovation. It was to really support innovation. So think about this. Um, it took many, many years. So if you're a manufacturer of, let's say, a stethoscope, I'm going Let's say there's a stethoscope here, and you create a red stethoscope. It may take seven years for the FDA to approve this stethoscope to go out to the public. And let's say a few years later, and you spend a lot of time and energy getting the FDA approval, let's say you happen to create another stethoscope, but the only difference was it's a brown stethoscope. Everything else is the same, and you wanted to get this out. Prior to 1976, to get the brown stethoscope out, you would have had to refile papers, redo all this government bureaucracy. So what Ford did um, was he said that if you could prove that the red stethoscope and the black stethoscope were substantially equivalent, so you get to choose certain criteria. So you, you write down certain criteria, let's say A, B, C, let's one of them was color, and you say, you say, hey, they're pretty much all equal except for this little thing called color, which doesn't really make it that different, then you could fast track it, which allowed people in the public to get the black stethoscope quicker without having to go through the seven years of processing. So this was a policy of substantial equivalence done to really support medical innovation. Let's now uh, fast forward to uh, around 2000, okay, when GMOs were coming out. And again, this will show you the hypocrisy of uh, people like Barack Obama, people like Hillary Clinton, you know, the typical liberal Democrats. Again, my attack here is not on people who support any of them. My, my goal here is to really educate you, but I want to point out the hypocrisy. So Barack Obama, over here, around, you know, 2000, appoints a guy, uh, Obama here, appoints a guy called Michael Taylor. And you can look him up, Michael Taylor. Michael Taylor was formerly, formerly the head of science policy, science policy, guess where, at Monsanto. He was appointed to become the deputy director of food at 
FDA. Okay, so Obama, here's Obama, appoints Michael Taylor to become the deputy director of food at the FDA. And what Taylor does is, let's say, here is our GMO tomato, here's our organic tomato, and, and the question is, how do you decide whether this, the GMO, should be given to the public? How do you decide this? So Michael Taylor said, let's use substantial equivalence. Okay, substantial equivalence. That policy, uh, EQINC, okay? So Michael Taylor said, let's use a policy of substantial equivalence to decide whether this is GMO tomato or organic tomato, by the way, is a guideline. The FDA, by the way, takes no position on this. They wanted to not really get involved because they want to be in a hands-off but in a collusion environment so no, none of us get pissed off with the government. So in, in this process, what one does is you write down your criteria. So let's say uh, any one of us, you and I, or anyone in, in the audience out there, let's say we decide that we want to create a GMO tomato company and we want to put this out to the public. So we, based on the uh, policy of substantial equivalence, write down different characteristics. So for example, one could be color, uh, two could be percent of fat, uh, three could be size, okay, et cetera. And all we need to do in our own labs through our own self-reporting is basically say, you know what, the GMO tomato has the same color, it's red. You know, it has about 10% fat, and the size is, you know, uh, two inches in diameter. So we simply have to just do our own reporting, and we simply send a letter. This is where it gets even more interesting. All we have to do is send a letter notifying the FDA that we've done our own internal tests, and you know what? By choosing whatever criteria I wanted, that these two are the same. I hope everyone's following. This is not independent criteria set by scientists, by the government, by policymakers. These are basically these people here self-reporting. So the key thing is self-reporting. So this is like the fox watching the hen house. Fox watching the hen house, that's what it is. So through self-reporting, uh, this is self-reported to the FDA, and the FDA simply issues what's called a letter, a safety consultation letter back to the creators and based on this letter they can now give it to the public so this GMO tomato can get distributed think about that self-reporting they select their criteria and then based on proving substantial equivalence the manufacturer can put this out now think about this when a drug is created, you know, a, a, a major drug for any major disease, it's got to go through clinical trials, phase one, phase two, phase three. It's got to go through preclinical testing. All the data is shared publicly, and then and only can that drug go out. And furthermore, only a doctor can recommend it, right? Here, we're doing major manipulation and this uh, of an organism, and this is allowed based on this policy saying that a little itsy-weeny, teeny-weeny change doesn't make it different. Now let me talk to you about the research we've done that's shown that there is a substantial difference 
when you do genetic engineering. So let's go over here and we're going to show you that, what this actually means, and you're going to appreciate it. If we go back to this diagram here, uh, what we did was we took soy, we took the soy plant. By the way, 97% of the soy in the U.S. is GMO'd. Let me repeat, 97% of the soy in the United States goes through this process of where uh, a gene, in this case, is not taken from a salmon, but is taken from a bacteria. There's a bacteria, and what the this soy is called is called Roundup Ready Soy. Roundup Ready Soy. And a gene is taken from this bacteria, and similarly, it's inserted into the soy plant. Let me get into a little more detail so you understand. Let me erase this, and we'll start really to understand what this really means. Because I think it's important for everyone to really understand what's going on um, in a very particular example, and you understand the history of this. So right now, everyone should really understand what is a GMO, how they're released, and let's really get into a little more detail. So if you think about it, let's say here's a farmer's plot of land, and there's a soy plant growing on here. Okay, there's a soy plant. In fact, let's assume there's a lot of soy plants growing on. See, these are soy plants. And let's also understand that there could be weeds here. These are these little weeds. Weeds. Soy plant weeds. Now, uh, Monsanto developed a very interesting uh, pesticide, which they could deliver by air, you know, airplanes, which would drop this pesticide, sprinkles of pesticide, on these weeds. Okay? And what this would do is it would kill the weeds. And this was called Roundup. Roundup, which some of you may have used. The technical name is glyphosate. Glyphosate. And this Roundup was used to annihilate the weeds. Now what it also did was once in a while, or it also killed some of these soy plants. Right? So it lowered the yield, as we would say in farming. So you had lower yield, lowering, lower yield. So Monsanto, uh, in many ways, owned a monopoly on this pesticide. Every farmer had uh, to buy this because of their enormous capabilities and sales force to get this out. So then what happened is, Monsanto said, you know what, we're going to take, remember, this soy plant here, if you looked at it, has its own DNA, if you remember. What they did was they said, we're going to take the DNA of a completely different bacteria, and from this, they took out its DNA, and they put it into here. So what they now did was they created a new plant called a GMO soy, and to be specific, round up ready soy. Roundup ready soy. And what Roundup ready soy could do is, let's go back to here. Um, when you had your farm here, and this time when you planted your GMO soy plant, 
let's say I plant a lot of these GMO soy plants here. This is your GMO soy plant. You may have, uh, and when you drop, I'm sorry, when you drop, we have also weeds here, remember? There's lots of weeds here. And when you drop this pesticide, the pesticide would kill all the weeds, and but it would not kill the Roundup Ready GMO soy. So to repeat, these are your Roundup Ready GMO soy plants. So the pesticide kills the weeds, but it doesn't kill Monsanto's GMO soy. Now this is where it gets sort of troublesome. Let's say there's, let's say this is Farmer Bob here, who owns GMO soy. Farmer Bob. He has GMO soy plants. Now let's say over here, we have, put a different color here, we have Farmer, Farmer Bill. And he is still growing non-GMO. And let's say accidentally, one of these GMO soy seeds goes and lands, and he grows a GMO soy plant. This is a GMO soy. What Monsanto will do is they will come and go to this guy, Monsanto, and they will issue a stop order, stop growing GMO soy. And they charge him money for this. So Farmer Bill will get an injunction that he's growing one of Monsanto's plants even though he didn't plant it. And he will be forced to buy the GMO seeds from Monsanto or pay a license fee. So this is what's actually going on. So here, what you have is Monsanto's owning both sides of the equation. They own the pesticide, and now in this case, they own the pesticide, and you have to buy their seeds if you want to get the right yields because their pesticide also happens to kill organic plants. I hope everyone's tracking. So the issue comes back to, is the, is the GMO, so if you take, is this GMO soy, is this equal to the non-GMO soy, which is the organic, okay? So are these equal? This is a question. Now, when this was released, the GMO soy, by the way, again, 97% of soy in U.S. is GMO. So this GMO soy was released to the public, and essentially Monsanto has a, a monopoly on this, assuming that these two were equal. Remember? They decided what criteria uh, to select. The question is, are they equal? And I'll wrap up with this, and I think you'll really completely understand what really happened. So the question is, are they equal? So I'm going to erase this again. And remember, equality is based on criteria. So I'm going to leave the criteria up here. So remember, it's what criteria they select for equivalence. So what criteria were selected? They were criteria whatever they decided. In my research, in our research, so what the, what the research we did was this. 
we went through 11,000 scientific papers. And what we found was the following. We found that if you look at GMO soy and non-GMO soy, use the purple here, the non-GMO, we found that there's a big difference. If you looked at the criteria of a chemical called glutathione, glutathione, glutathione is one of the most important antioxidants. If everyone's watching this, if you just Google glutathione, you'll find out it's one of the most important antioxidants, antioxidants to plants and animals. What glutathione does is when you have enough levels of glutathione, your body is able to detoxify itself from all the different chemical pollutants. So for example, all plants have a process where they have a chemical process where they actually create formaldehyde within the plant. And as a part of creating that, uh, glutathione is used to detoxify the the uh, formaldehyde. So let me repeat, all plants, in fact all of us, when we metabolize things, our body produces certain toxins and glutathione is able to detox it. So it's a detox agent. What we found was there's a substantial difference between glutathione in GMO and non-GMO soy. What we found was in GMO soy, and the difference is there's a 200% difference which means there's 200% less glutathione in 200% less in, I'm sorry, 200% less, um, one second, there's 200% there's less here. So this has 200% less. So GMO soy has 200% less glutathione than the non-GMO soy. These plants have, which is the organic, so the organic non-GMO soy has 200% more than the GMO soy, or the other way to look at it is that the GMO soy is 200% less. Now this is significant, because what it means is these plants have less antioxidants, the organisms that consume them are getting less antioxidants, and more importantly, these plants are not as strong. In fact, what's happened is many of the GMO seeds, the GMO seeds, um, people are starting to wonder why these GMO seeds are coated with something called neonicotinoids. Neonicotinoids. Neonics, as they're known, neonics, again, you can look them up, are what many postulate are killing bees. Okay? And my theory, which we're doing further research on, is that the, the uh, genetic GMO companies have started coating their seeds with neonics because neonics are an insecticide. Because the reality is when they plant these, when they plant the GMO plants inside uh, the soil, soil organisms can kill these plants because the plants are not as stronger. You see, glutathione is extremely important for the immune system. Okay? So the GMO soy plants are not as stronger so these GMO guys started coating them with neonics, which are an insecticide, which are protecting their seeds. 
So you see what they've done. They've First of all, they've engineered something that doesn't occur in nature using a gene from a bacterium. That's why it's genetic engineering. Then the plant that they produce is able to help them sell more of their pesticides. And then finally, the seed that they produce is not as strong, so they have to coat it with neonicotinoids. So this is what happened when you screw around with Mother Nature and you really don't look at the system's effect on this. Now the last piece I want to end with is, remember, this is called Roundup Ready Soy. It's there to protect um, the plant from being attacked by Monsanto's own herbicide, glyphosate. Now glyphosate has been shown, glyphosate, which is that pesticide, has been shown to cause fatty liver disease liver disease at ultra low levels. Fatty liver disease, and this is a paper in Nature, if you want to look it up, there's a paper in Nature. Bottom line is glyphosate, the pesticide, which is in these components because they're not organic, when we consume that, it causes fatty liver disease, which leads to obesity. There's 80 million people who are obese in the United States. Here we're a wealthy nation, but we're actually getting obese. The bottom line is that when you look at this, I hope you understand that what they've done is they've, first of all, taken a gene from another organism, embedded it into another organism in a very unnatural way, and they've told us that don't worry, they're all about the same. The reality is they're not the same, at least we've shown that with GMO soy, and we believe this is the same with other GMOs. Secondly, there is no safety assessment standards. This is all done based on self-reporting. And finally, the Monsanto Protection Act, which Elizabeth Warren voted for, along with many other Democrats and a few other Republicans, allows Monsanto to get away with a court injunction by appealing to the Department of Agriculture's head. This is what has occurred under the watch of Barack Obama. So the bottom line is I hope you know what a GMO is, why we should be concerned, and the fact that there are no safety assessment standards for GMOs. Thank you.